0: New York's high court finds police use of a GPS device violated the Fourth Amendment. And an international insurance company settles a Madoff-related class action. These and other stories from the Legal News Desk make up this LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast. LexisNexis Legal News New York, from the pages of LexisNexis Mealy's publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports.
1: LexisNexis Podcasts voted top legal-oriented podcast in the 2008 ABA Journal, Blog 100, the annual reader survey of the best websites for lawyers as chosen by the editors of the ABA Journal.
0: Calling the New York State Police's installation of a GPS device on a vehicle a, quote, massive invasion of privacy, the New York Court of Appeals in May reversed a lower court and found that the warrantless use of such a tracking device on the defendant's car violated its Fourth Amendment rights and provisions of the New York State Constitution. In December 2005, state police suspected Scott Weaver of being involved in a meat market burglary. An investigator surreptitiously placed a GPS device under Weaver's van, which was parked on the street. The device remained there for 65 days, allowing police to obtain information about the van's location over that period of time. Weaver was subsequently arrested, charged, and tried for his involvement in the meat market burglary and a second store break-in that occurred during that 65-day tracking period. Weaver moved to suppress the GPS data as violating his Fourth Amendment rights. The Albany County Supreme Court denied the motion, and a jury convicted him regarding the second burglary. The 3rd Department New York Supreme Court Appellate Division upheld that conviction. The Court of Appeals explained that because of the constant satellite-aided monitoring of a suspect via GPS, investigators can learn about destinations or activities that are undisputably private. Thus, even though the device was not in Weaver's home and even though his trips on public roadways could have been observed by anyone, the majority found that the GPS's pervasive nature violated his privacy rights under the Fourth Amendment and the state constitution. The majority said while some situations could possibly trigger a need for GPS tracking without a warrant, it found that there was no such emergency in the present situation. The court said it did not presume to decide the question of GPS and Fourth Amendment rights as a matter of federal law, but said it had the authority to decide the matter per the New York Constitution. As such, it ordered the appellate court's decision reversed. Weaver's motion to suppress granted and the matter remanded for a new trial. Two dissenting opinions called the majority opinion unsound and unnecessarily burdensome to law enforcement, protesting the differentiation of GPS use from more traditional surveillance techniques that police are permitted to use to observe suspects without warrants. The New York Court of Appeals in early May held that absent class members do not hold a presumptive right of access to class counsel's
1: case files upon termination of representation. In a five-to-one vote with one abstention, the state's highest court upheld a New York Appellate Court's December 2007 ruling, rejecting a class member's attempt to obtain the work product of three plaintiff firms that he claimed short-changed class members with the 2003 settlement of a securities fraud class action filed against software company CA Inc. The majority found that the relationship between class counsel and unnamed class members is too unlike the traditional attorney-client relationship to convey access rights to class counsel's work product. In late 2007, the 1st Department Supreme Court Appellate Division denied Sam Wiley's motion seeking internal documents from three law firms as part of their work on two consolidated federal shareholder class actions against CA. The court found that as an absent class member, Wiley did not have the same rights as a client in the traditional attorney-client relationship. Wiley maintained that a 2003 settlement negotiated by the firms failed to account for the fraud supported by a guilty plea by CA's former general counsel, who admitted that he had impeded the government's investigation of the company's accounting practices. The majority held that an absent class member is not party to the typical attorney-client relationship. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Shane Dilworth.
0: An international insurance company has agreed to settle a class action lawsuit filed by investors who claim the company and others failed to provide proper due diligence before investing in the Bernard Madoff Ponzi scheme. In a press release announcing the settlement agreement in principle, Argus Group Holdings, parent company of Argus International Life Bermuda, said it has agreed to settle the shareholders' claims in exchange for a broad package of relief, including loans to policyholders, the assignment of certain Argus International claims to a litigation trust, and cooperation by Argus International in connection with litigation of the assigned claims. The class action was filed in the Southern District of New York in January on behalf of all purchasers or owners of variable universal life insurance policies offered by Argus International Life Bermuda Limited. The action alleged Argus and others committed negligent misrepresentation were unjustly enriched, breached their fiduciary duty, and or aided and abetted in the breach of fiduciary duty by failing to perform the requisite due diligence before investing in the Madoff-Ponzi scheme. According to the press release, the settlement is still subject to documentation and court approval. The First Department New York Supreme Court Appellate Division has affirmed the dismissal of fraud and breach of fiduciary duty claims against Wells Fargo Insurance Services and Wells Fargo Bank based on an alleged contingent commission conspiracy. New York Attorney General Andrew Cuomo alleged that Wells Fargo accepted hidden compensation from certain insurance companies based on the amount of business Wells Fargo steered to them. The New York County Supreme Court granted Wells Fargo dismissal motion, finding the causes of action did not adequately allege any specific instances in which persons or entities were adversely affected by Wells Fargo's conduct. Pursuant to a long-standing agreement between the U.S. government and the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, or ASCAP, a New York federal judge issued a May 13th ruling determining an interim blanket license between ASCAP and YouTube. For music videos that are featured on the site, judge found both sides' proposed rates were unreasonable.
2: After weighing various criteria regarding YouTube users' viewing of music-based content on the site, Judge William Kahn of the Southern District of New York ordered YouTube to pay ASCAP $1.6 million in interim royalty fees, accrued from May 2004 to March 2009. Judge Carter further ordered that the per-month interim fee for YouTube would be $70,000 from April 2009 until final fees are determined. ASCAP and YouTube disagreed on the amount of YouTube content that was based on copyrighted content licensed to ASCAP members. YouTube contended that only a tiny portion of the posted videos constituted music videos, while ASCAP argued that more than 88% of the site's most watched videos were music videos or contained footage with background music. Judge Connor agreed that YouTube underestimated the amount of applicable musical content, stating that even a cursory review of its 100 most viewed videos of all time showed that at least two-thirds included musical content. Stating that further discovery was necessary before final fees could be determined, Judge Connor set the interim rates, stating that there could be retroactive adjustment if any inequities are found after final fees are determined. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Eli Cyber CyberTech Editor, Mark Rogers.
0: A New York federal judge has agreed with a jury's finding of patent infringement by Hewlett-Packard Company, denying the defendant's motion for judgment as a matter of law on the issue of patent validity. However, in a separate ruling, the judge granted HP's motion for judgment as a matter of law on damages. U.S. Circuit Judge Randall Rader, sitting by designation in the Northern District of New York, found that plaintiffs Cornell University and Cornell Research Foundation were entitled to $53.4 million for HP's infringement, not the $184 million initially awarded. The dispute was first filed in 2001, and according to court documents, the invention claimed in the patent attempted to remedy a limitation of early computer processors, which could issue and execute only one instruction at a time. A May 2008 jury trial resulted in a plaintiff verdict on patent validity and patent infringement. On subsequent motions for judgment as a matter of law, the court rejected H.P.'s argument that the claim construction was erroneous and that the patent is invalid for failure to satisfy the written description requirement. The judge also found in favor of the plaintiffs on validity, but not, however, on the issue of damages. The judge found, quote, Cornell proffered a royalty base that incorporated much more than the claimed invention without providing any additional evidence demonstrating entitlement to the entire market value of any Hewlett Packard product. The judge overseeing the Zyprexa multi-district litigation in mid-May disqualified one plaintiff expert as, quote, shockingly careless with facts, but approved another without a hearing. Defendant Eli Lilly moved to disqualify plaintiff causation expert Dr. Stephen J. Hamburger, M.D.
3: Senior U.S. Judge Jack Weinstein of the Eastern District of New York said that although Hamburger is qualified, his opinions on the direct effect of Zyprexa on insulin-producing cells, quote, rely on subjective methodology, a fast and loose application of his scientific theories to the facts, and conclusion-driven assessments of the issues of causation in the cases on which he is proposed to testify. Quote. The judge said Hamburger could not be allowed to testify because his opinions are neither based upon sufficient facts or data, nor are they the product of reliable principles and methods, and he had not applied the principles and methods reliably to the facts of the case. Judge Weinstein found Hamburger had been, quote, shockingly careless about the facts of the cases he proposed to opine about, unquote, and repeatedly and impermissibly stretched the truth to support findings of causality. He said, quote, The court cannot permit a major pharmaceutical litigation to become the subject of the kind of rubber-stamp expert opinions that have so marred mass litigations, such as those involving asbestos and breast implants, close quote. Judge Weinstein said an evidentiary hearing or argument is not required on the admissibility of Paul Fitzgerald, an endocrinologist at the University of California at San Francisco, adding the submitted papers suffice and support this decision. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Emerging Drugs and Medical Devices Editor Tom Moylan.
0: An appeals panel May 12th dismissed a group of property and business owners sued alleging that an urban development corporation's taking of their land violated state law. The Second Department Appellate Division held the Public Use Clause of the State Constitution need not be taken literally. Atlantic Yards is a 22-acre redevelopment project that's been proposed to revitalize an area of Brooklyn. Daniel Goldstein and others comprise a group of residents and business owners whose homes and businesses have been slated for condemnation to move the project along. New York's eminent domain procedures law allows challenges to takings in the state's appellate courts. Goldstein and the others took their case to the 2nd Department Appellate Division against the New York State Urban Development Corporation doing business as Empire State Development, asking the court to find that the New York Constitution imposes a more restrictive standard for the taking of private property than that imposed by the U.S. Constitution and that the more restrictive standard has not been satisfied. Goldstein and the others claim the public use clause of the New York Constitution must be read literally, to allow the taking of private property only where that property is to be held open for common use by all members of the public. The appellate division panel found, though, that the condemnation does not violate the public use clause of the state constitution because it cannot be said that the public benefits which the Atlantic Yards project is expected to yield are incidental or pretextual in comparison to the benefit that would be bestowed upon the project's private developer. This is LexisNexis Legal News, New York. The Lexis One community, where individual attorneys are going for free case law, the Lexis Web search engine, free forms, and mealies online. Get access to Lexis.com through research packages for the time you need without signing a long-term contract. Check out emerging issues analysis, news, blogs, the Download Center, the LexisNexis store, and more. Lexis One, the online community and research resource for individual attorneys. www.lexisone.com for more information on these and other litigation news stories, visit www.lexisnexis.com/meleys or totallitigator.com. The LexisNexis New York Legal News podcast was written by the editors of LexisNexis Meleys Publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis New York Legal News podcast copyright 2009 by LexisNexis a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis Total Practice Solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.